In the darkness, beyond the realm of normalcy, there are mysteries waiting to be uncovered. Mysteries that suggest that there is more lurking in the darkness than we may think. There are secrets waiting to be heard. Secrets that are only whispered during the night tide. Traditions are often the fabric of our being. Whether those traditions are specific to our families or those that are a shared element of our culture. Traditions often silently guide us through life. They are the very basis of our holidays and celebrations and are often the cherished distractions that break apart the monotony of everyday life, setting apart moments that are deemed to be more special and dearer to our memories than any other. We cannot escape tradition. We as humans are hardwired for it. It's how we honor those that came before us. It's how we cherish our friends and family and how spirits are lifted throughout the year. Traditions are familiar and they're often our safe space in life. In the modern world, where our lives are inundated with constant, rapid change, traditions offer a bit of respite from the stress and the need for constant adaptation. It's often a great comfort knowing that some things do not change and that elements of years long past can still manage to carry on. The celebrations that we have, which mark the turning of the seasons and honor the passage of time, those are the ones which often live on in our minds as our most cherished memories, especially from our youth. Each holiday, and life celebration that we engage in have elements tucked away, which are echoes from the ancient past. Many of the common traditions from our celebrations carries a bit of magic. Whilst we may not be aware of it, many of the things which we do during these life celebrations harken back to times of old. And many of those traditions have their basis in magic. The birthday is a celebration that is steeped with traditions. Traditions so familiar, yet whose origins and purpose often seems mysterious. Each popular tradition, whispers of ancient magic. When lighting the candles atop a birthday cake, you are hearkening back to the days of old. When candlelight was often employed as a means of honoring the gods, granting wishes, and banishing misfortune and evil. 
The popular tradition of having a cake adorned with candles harkens back to the ancient Greeks. Often, round sweet cakes were made and brought to the temple to honor the goddess Artemis. Artemis was one of the most honored and respected goddesses of the ancient Greeks. She was the goddess of the hunt, of archery, animals, forests, and of the moon. Both men and women revered this goddess and sought her favor. However, she was most especially important to women. Artemis was also a protector of the woman, aiding in childbirth, guarding against disease, and protecting the young. Those who worshipped Artemis and sought her assistance would trek to her temple, bringing along those freshly baked sweet cakes. Once there, the round moon cakes would be adorned with candles and lit. Those seeking blessings and assistance from Artemis would gaze intently into the candle's flames and focus on their prayer. Once their prayer was finished, the candles atop the cake would be blown out and the wisps of smoke which wafted upwards would be carefully watched. If the smoke rose and curled upwards into the air, it meant that Artemis was listening and that your prayer or wish would be granted. This rising candle smoke was also a purifying moment as well. As the smoke from the candles would clear away any negative or evil energies surrounding your person. A sweet little treat with a powerful bit of magic. Many of the traditions for our holiday celebrations involve the same themes. The banishment of misfortune and evil and the bringing about of positive energy which would usher in good fortune and fulfill wishes. One popular holiday celebration that is full of ritualistic traditions that are steeped in ancient magic is New Year's. There is no shortage of New Year's traditions which people believe one must participate in to bring about positive energy and a fruitful year. Many believe that if these traditions are faltered from, then the following 12 months will be filled with sorrow, misfortune, and negativity. There are many traditions you engage in during this holiday that you may not have given a second thought to, such as the use of noisemakers or the need for fireworks, and why so many have such a strong urge to clean on the 1st of January.
All of those traditions come from ancient magic. And all of those traditions are about banishing bad energy and the negative spirits thought to bring it about. The usage of noisemakers and fireworks go back to that ancient practice of using various instruments to create loud noises. Noises which were believed to frighten unwanted spirits away. The tradition of sweeping floors on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day is much the same. It is a practice which is believed to help one usher in prosperity and good fortune by sweeping away the previous year's negative energies and those spirits associated with them. And once you've swept away all that dust that contains all those bad spirits, you then remove the dust from the house via the back door. We are surrounded by echoes of the past, of ancient magic long since forgotten. So many of our holiday and life celebrations involve traditions whose true purpose was to rid communities and households of negative spiritual forces. So much of what we celebrate today, whether it's Halloween, a solstice-based winter celebration, birthdays, or weddings, many of the traditions associated with these serve the purpose of protection and banishing evil spirits from this realm. However, what if the unwanted spirit, which you sought to protect yourself from and drive away, was yourself? What if the thing which haunted you, which caused you to spend your nights frozen in fear, was none other than you? What magic of old could you call upon to drive away yourself? History is full of strange tales of those who encountered and were even seemingly haunted by themselves. A phenomenon known as the doppelganger. A doppelganger, which is German for double walker, is often portrayed as being an apparition or duplicate of a living person. It can appear as either a spectral form or as a solid, living, breathing double. Now, legend has it that if a person encounters their doppelganger, it is seen as an omen, a warning that death is near. It may be easy to attribute such encounters to electrical misfires of the brain or product of schizophrenia, 
There are many tales of famous and seemingly stable historical figures who encountered and sometimes were even haunted by their spectral double. For many of these, it appears that the encounters were indeed an omen, as many did indeed die none too shortly afterwards. In 1860, an exhausted and newly sworn president draped himself across the couch in his living area. As he laid there, already feeling the somber weight of his new position, a strange feeling began to come over him. It was a mixture of anxiety and fear. And as he lay there with his heart beating rapidly within his chest, his eyes darted around the room in a desperate attempt to find the source for the upset. As he desperately scanned the room, his eyes stopped cold on the framed mirror across from him. What he saw, reflected in the mirror's gaze, caused him to let out a gasp of fright. There, in the mirror, was his reflection, and directly beside of him was another version of himself. However, this second reflection wasn't like the first. The second reflection showed the president in quite a sickly-looking state. It was pale, ghostly. As the president stared into the image, he felt a sharp, cold chill run down his spine. There was something else disturbing about the reflection. The eyes. The pale, ghostly doppelganger looked upon him with a gaze of pleading sadness. Startled by this, the weary president shot up, and as he did so, the ghostly apparition faded. But, minutes later, as he sat back down to rest, it appeared yet again. This time, he called for his wife, who, upon seeing the reflected double, shrieked out in terror. She believed it to be an omen, and in between shaking sobs, she told her husband she believed that this vision meant that he was to be elected for a second term, one which she believed he would not live to see through. It would seem that perhaps his wife's dark interpretation of that phenomena was correct. Five years later, the president, Abraham Lincoln, was assassinated. While Lincoln was known in his private life to be quite superstitious and a firm believer in the paranormal, 
It's not known if he shared his wife's interpretation of that mystery reflection. However, the incident had bothered him, and it bothered him enough that he shared it with those in his inner circle, some of whom he confided with that every time he thought of that incident, he was struck by a sudden pang of dread. While the story of Lincoln's ghostly doppelganger is quite a compelling story, there is another explanation of the source behind the ghostly double. Mirrors of that time were not as clear and smooth as those we are accustomed to today. They were often known to have imperfections. Imperfections which could cause such an effect. Either way, Mary Todd Lincoln's interpretation of that strange reflection was eerily correct. Oddly enough, Lincoln wasn't the only head of state who met their demise soon after setting sights on their ghostly twin. Catherine the Great, Russia's longest reigning female leader, had a reputation for being a strong and fierce woman. A reputation which came namely for her involvement in the coup, which resulted in the dethroning and subsequent death of her husband, Peter III. Now, while her husband had been a very unpopular ruler who made his share of short-sighted decisions, Catherine seemed born for the throne. What truly made Catherine great was her dedication to her country. Her 30-year rule is known as the Golden Age of Russia. During her reign, she expanded territories pushed for greater access to education, and tirelessly championed and supported the arts. She was especially fond of literature and had a vast library that was likely the envy of many nations. Catherine was also known for her bravery and ferocity, which she met the many attempts on her life with. Plots to steal the throne were constant during her ruling years, and she faced each one with an unwavering ferocity, which seemed to be as much of a challenge as it was an act of intimidation. Since the Empress was used to her throne being threatened by others, she was not at all shaken when one evening she was awakened by the shriek of one of her servants. The servant told her that as they were making their rounds, they saw the empress walking into the throne room. When the servant walked into the empress's bedchamber and saw her laying in her bed sound asleep, the servant fell into a frantic state. 
Catherine, convinced that this was another ploy by some clever usurper to steal the throne, immediately flew out of bed and rushed down the castle halls, all the while yelling for her guards. When Catherine bolted into the throne room, she was startled by what she saw. There, sitting on the throne, was a woman who looked exactly like herself. The only notable difference was that she was slightly paler than the Empress. Well, the Empress couldn't help but to be impressed by the likeness and thought that it was indeed a clever ploy to murder her and replace her with a near-unmistakable double. Catherine shouted at the intruder seated on her throne, who returned her demanding shouts with only a stare, which Catherine took to be an open act of defiance. The Empress yelled, ordering her guards to fire rounds into the woman. Each guard unloaded their guns, but to the utter astonishment of all, the mysterious woman did not fall. She simply vanished into a mist. While the guards were thoroughly shaken by the event, perhaps believing it to be some form of black magic. Catherine appeared stoic, seemingly unbothered by the event, as if it had never happened. Not too long after the encounter with the spectral double, Catherine collapsed suddenly, suffering a stroke. She never regained consciousness, and in less than a day's time, the reign of Catherine the Great and the Golden Age of Russia came to an end. It's said that many of those in the court who knew about that eerie encounter with the ghostly intruder believed that it was an omen foretelling the Empress's coming demise. Catherine the Great wasn't the only female ruler in history to have an unsettling experience with an apparent doppelganger. Queen Elizabeth I also came face to face with herself. The daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, Queen Elizabeth I was the first monarch in a long time to fully dedicate themselves to and put the country first. She was known as Gloriana, the virgin queen who refused to marry, saying that she was wedded to her country, thus implying that she would always choose the greater good of the country over personal affairs. 
a stance, which to the English was a welcomed and much needed stability, which the monarchy had not shown its people for a long time. During her half-century reign, the bright, red-haired, and unnaturally white-faced Elizabeth brought stability, growth, and new wealth to the country. She promoted the arts, especially theater, and also granted permission for the first colonization efforts of what would later become America. However, for all her many contributions to the country and the stability she provided it, Queen Elizabeth, like anyone else, had her flaws, the most notable being her vanity. As the years progressed, age, unfortunately, was not kind to the queen. The sizable amounts of lead and mercury contained in her white makeup and bright red lip stain quickly stripped away her beauty. The skin on her face became riddled with large sores. And what was not ravaged by the sores was gray, lined, and sagging. Her fiery red hair also suffered from the daily dose of toxins, and it had eventually fallen out. To cover her poison-ravaged appearance, she wore an elaborate fire-red wig and caked on the toxic white makeup, almost an inch thick, to cover up what it was doing to her. Despite her appearance, Queen Elizabeth still demanded all of the attention of the male court. She often fretted over the beauty of her ladies-in-waiting and demanded that they and all her female attendants wear simple garbs of black and gray during royal events. She believed that by dressing the other ladies in this manner, that they would essentially fade into the background and go unnoticed. Elizabeth herself would be dressed in the richest and most brilliant garments available in order to stand out. The unfortunate thing for Elizabeth is that Many of the efforts she employed to making herself look beautiful and stand out were also slowly killing her. Even her elaborate gowns and jewelry contained lead. Near the end of her reign, her body was ravaged by the toxins causing her great physical discomfort. Because of this, the queen's mood was often unstable. She was quick to anger and to fits of melancholy. Though the queen took many elixirs in hopes of extending her life and restoring her beauty, she would soon see that there would be no escaping the inevitable. 
One evening, while readying herself for bed, the queen was shocked to discover that someone was laying in her bed. At first, she assumed it was one of her chambermaids, and at the thought, her blood boiled over the disrespect the girl would show her by sleeping in her private chambers. As the queen walked closer to the bed, prepared to lash out at the girl, she suddenly stopped cold in her tracks. The bed wasn't occupied by one of the young chambermaids. Instead, it was occupied by someone very dear to her. The only person who knew all of her secrets, her desires, and the only one who truly understood the loneliness she felt as a queen. Herself. There, on the grand canopied bed, lied the queen herself. However, as the queen slowly approached and studied her doppelganger spread out upon the bed, she realized right away that the woman before her was dead. The doppelganger's body was pale, shriveled, and thin, as if it had wasted away. As she stood there, blinking away the tears, she realized that what she was witnessing was a sign of what was to come. Indeed, just a few short days later, Queen Elizabeth, England's beloved Gloriana, was dead. Not all of those who encounter their doppelganger gaze upon a silent wraith. There are those who repeatedly found themselves face-to-face with themselves, often mocked and almost haunted by their mysterious double. Percy Shelley was perhaps one of the more colorful fellows of his time. A poet, vegetarian, free love advocate, and staunch atheist, he stood apart from the other men of his time. Born in 1792, Percy was a man full of liberal and radical ideas in a time when such ideas were considered unacceptable. During the autumn of 1810, Percy attended his first year of university, and there he was exposed to a wide range of literature, including texts which introduced him to the philosophies and ideals of other cultures. However, Percy was soon upset to discover that his professors wrote off those texts which had so inspired him as the works of a bygone period or even the works of godless men. 
enraged by this close-mindedness, Percy began to lose his faith in the church and soon root off faith altogether. Frustrated by his situation, Percy soon went about on a bit of a rebellious streak. Percy created such scandal, such uproar, that he was eventually expelled. The final straw being a pamphlet which he passed around campus entitled The Necessity of Atheism. During a time when the church held a tight grip over the people, such a thing was as scandalous and taboo as it got. After being expelled, Percy had no choice but to head back to his childhood home, where he was met with exasperated parents, who at this point were quite fed up with their child's shameful behavior. As the days passed, his parents were shocked to learn just how far their son had deviated from his proper upbringing. His radical beliefs on atheism, politics, free love, and vegetarianism, which back then was considered radical, were more than his parents could bear. He was informed that if he wished to remain within their house, he would need to give up these beliefs and go back to leading a respectable Christian life. So, with that sort of ultimatum in front of him, Percy did what every directionless son would do at this point. He ran away and got married. The girl's name was Harriet Westbrook, who was barely 16 when she and Percy eloped. Harriet, though very bright, suffered from a strong bout of melancholia, often expressing to Percy her desire for death. In fact, it was this which drew Percy to her, as he liked playing the role of the tragic hero, telling those around him that he married her only to save her from suicide. It appears that his tragic hero bragging rights may have indeed been the only reason for the marriage. As mere weeks after their wedding, Percy soon grew bored of his new bride, leaving her alone for weeks at a time while he indulged in a variety of extramarital affairs. Though their marriage was tumultuous at best, the couple did have two children together. They just didn't raise them together. When Harriet was pregnant, with their second child, Percy met Mary Wollstonecraft, the daughter of his literary mentor, Goodwin. Though he and Goodwin shared a pleasant friendship, Goodwin was incensed when he discovered that Percy had been courting his daughter, knowing what Percy was like, and knowing 
that Percy was not only a married man, but also a serial womanizer. He forbade the two from speaking to one another. However, such an act only made the two ever more resolved to be with each other. A few months later, they had run away together, and they spent the next few months traveling Europe. During this time, Mary became pregnant, so they traveled back to London. While Percy was away, poor Harriet had given birth to their second child all alone. And when Percy and Mary returned to London and Harriet discovered that Mary was pregnant, she finally reached the breaking point. She sued Percy for a divorce, which included a substantial alimony and full custody of the children. The courts, of course, sided with Harriet, and her divorce, along with all her demands, was granted. Percy never again saw his two children. And afterwards, to add more misery to his situation, his child with Mary was stillborn. After this turn of events, Percy sunk into a depression, which clearly reflected in his often angst-filled prose. It was during this depression that Percy began to experience some unusual and frightening occurrences. Occurrences which would last for the duration of his life. Whether day or night, Percy was haunted by a scornful figure, one which would stalk about during his outings, pace about in his writing room, and peer in at him through his balcony window. The figure was all too familiar to him, as it was an exact double of himself. His encounters with the doppelganger were frustratingly frequent, and it always had a way of appearing and disappearing without warning. The figure's appearance was always maddening as it gazed upon Percy with such scorn that he often felt it may lash out and attack him at any moment. But it never did. It paced about silently leering at him. However, it wasn't always silent. Sometimes, it would taunt him. One afternoon, while Percy was busy writing prose, the double appeared beside of him. It leaned in close and said in a soft but hateful tone, how long do you plan to be content? And with that, the double gave him a long, dark stare and vanished. Throughout this time, Percy had kept his doppelganger experiences to himself. But this particular incident had frightened him 
It frightened him in a way that none of the others had before. He felt threatened, and he considered this to be some sort of dark omen. That night, he confessed to his now wife, Mary, about the strange double that had been haunting him for the past few years. Well, Mary wrote the stories off, thinking perhaps it was another one of Percy's tricks. You see, Percy didn't exactly have the reputation for honesty. However, several weeks later, Mary was shocked when a friend told her a very odd story. She told Mary that she had been walking one day when she saw Percy going down an alleyway. Since it seemed odd and out of place, and thinking maybe he was going to visit another woman, Mary's friend decided to follow him. As she followed him down the alley, they came to a dead end. And there, Percy vanished into thin air. Some months later, while vacationing, Percy was walking down the beach when to his shock, the doppelganger appeared some distance ahead of him. It gave him the same scornful stare. Then, it motioned for him to follow it. He followed the figure down the beach and watched as it began to walk into the ocean. It stopped for a brief moment, looked at him, and then pointed to the ocean and began walking into it. Percy stopped frozen with fear as he watched the figure walk out into the waters deeper and deeper until it disappeared. This would be the final time Percy had an encounter with his doppelganger. About a year later, while traveling abroad, Percy was killed in a boating accident. Even more mysterious, several days after his death, his wife, Mary, who was yet unaware of her husband's fate, woke up one morning to find Percy pacing back and forth on the balcony. Thinking he came home early and snuck in that previous night, Mary excitedly called out for him and hurried towards the balcony. As she approached, she thought she saw him jump off. Though when she ran to the outside, bracing herself for the horrible sight which must lay on the ground below, there was nothing. As Mary was standing by the balcony, trying to figure out if she was going mad, she heard a knock at the door. When she opened the door, a man who was a close family friend, was there looking quite somber. She invited him in, all the while telling him of the strange vision she had seen on the balcony. The friend stopped. He put his hands on Mary's shoulders, and in a voice 
barely above a whisper, he said, It couldn't have been Percy that you saw. He's passed on. What makes the story of Percy and his haunting doppelganger all the more interesting is that Percy has ties to another tale, a monstrous one. You see, the Mary he later married became Mary Shelley, the very same Mary Shelley who wrote Frankenstein. It would seem that those who encounter their doubles are doomed to soon be in death's arms, which leads to the question, why does the doppelganger appear? Is it simply a warning, a matter of a slip in time, or is it perhaps a punishment? Would a foreshadowing of one's own demise be a comfort? Or a curse. In the case of Percy Shelley, could it be that his doppelganger was something more? Could it perhaps have been some sort of punishment for the way he had so poorly treated others in his past? Or perhaps there's nothing paranormal at all about such occurrences. Perhaps, at least, for most of these stories, it was a way of the subconscious mind communicating that there was something wrong with the body, a warning signal. Whatever the reason, one thing that is quite interesting about most of the doppelganger legends is that a fair amount of them revolve around leaders and artists do you think those are just the stories that get paid more attention to? Or do you think there's something more to it? I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed hearing some of history's strange tales of doppelgangers. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to visit the website at nighttideradio.com. That's N-I-G-H-T-T-I-D-E radio.com. Here you can find archives and other goodies. You can also subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, and many of your other favorite podcasty places. Night Tide is written, produced, and voiced by me. I'm Stacy, and this is Night Tide.